1: Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be discussing transforming the three poisons, greed, hatred, and delusion. This is chapter 8 in the book Developing a Life Practice, The Path that Leads to Nibbana. We use this book as a guide in our group learning program to help you learn and practice the teachings of Gautama Buddha so that you can awaken the mind to this enlightened mental state. Enlightenment is a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy that is permanent. In order to attain enlightenment, you would need to eliminate the three poisons from the mind. And in order to eliminate them, you need to know what they are, how they affect you, and what are the actual antidotes to these three poisons. So today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to be discussing these three poisons. They're also referred to as the three unwholesome roots, or the three fires, because it's these three aspects of the mind that keep us in the unenlightened state. You may also even hear them referred to as defilements or pollution of the mind. It is these three poisons that keep the mind in this unenlightened state where it still experiences discontent feelings. discontentedness, like Sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, loneliness, boredom, shyness, jealousy, resentment, stress, anxiety. All of these discontent feelings can actually be eliminated from the mind 100%. But in order to do that, there's many teachings that you need to learn and practice in order to progress on this path to enlightenment. And it's the three poisons that really kind of open up the Buddhist teachings for you to understand how they all kind of feed into eliminating these three poisons. So far in this group learning program, we've covered lots of different topics. We've started with chapter one, moving all the way through to where we are today with chapter eight. And in that progression, we explored a lot of different topics. Some of the key topics that we discovered and discussed are things like the three universal truths and the four noble truths. These help to explain to you that it's craving desire attachment that is causing the discontent feelings. And then we moved into the eightfold path, the entire path to helping you understand how to reach this enlightened mental state. And recently we've even covered the five precepts, which really explored all the different ways that the five precepts significantly reduces unwholesome gamma production. Well, it's the three poisons which are causing all the unwholesome kama. Whether you have already learned and understood the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Five Precepts, in that progression of explaining what some of the problems are and some of the solutions, what the three poisons are going to do is summarize this for you in a way that you can really clearly see the wisdom in Gautama Buddha's teachings and why these three poisons are affecting the mind and how they really cause havoc in your life and one of the reasons why you've been struggling so far in this life. But through eradicating these three poisons, you will eradicate these unwholesome decisions in this unwholesome gamma that's being produced because of it. So let's move into the three poisons and discuss this. So let's get started. The three poisons, what are they? Right? Let's just discuss what they are, how they affect us. And then we can talk about how to actually antidote or remedy or eradicate these three poisons. Because as you heard, these are the things that are keeping the mind in the unenlightened state. This is what's causing all the problems in struggles in your life. And through understanding these, not only will you understand the struggles that you're facing, but you'll also understand the struggles that other people are facing around you, and the entire world is affected by these three poisons in the mind. And it's all of these three poisons that are causing all the problems throughout the world. So understanding this about your mind will help you also understand other people's minds and the problems of the world much better, and what the solutions to those are. The poisons of greed, hatred, and delusion actually mask our true awakened mind, this mind of compassion and wisdom that can step forward and have healthy relationships, and things can just be smooth and seamless in our life. These three poisons actually motivate non-virtuous and unskillful intentions, speech, and actions, which produce all the unwholesome kama. Now, just a little bit of a refresher on what kama is. Gamma is cause and effect or action and result. It's essentially the result of our decisions. So through making good, wholesome decisions based in wisdom, we have good, wholesome results. And if we are unknowing, in creating decisions that are based in unwholesome non-intelligent or non-skillful ways then we're going to experience unwholesome result as a result of that so it's important that you develop an understanding of these three poisons to eradicate all the unwholesome decisions that you're making and therefore all the unwholesome results. And right now, things may be happening in your life that you don't fully understand of why certain things are happening or why certain decisions that you're making are having unwholesome results but here in the three poisons and then later as we get into next week's chapter, which is all about gamma, you'll start to understand this natural law more closely and then be able to make wise decisions in your life to improve the condition of the mind and the condition of your life. This first poison is often referred to as either greed or craving. So these three poisons can be referred to as greed, hatred, and delusion, or craving, anger, and ignorance. What this greed or craving is all about is it's this burning desire, this unquenchable thirst, this outward searching for satisfaction, this longing, this strong eagerness, looking for satisfaction externally. And what the mind does is it's constantly looking outside of itself for satisfaction, for happiness, And it gets a certain object of its affection or its desires and it focuses on that one thing or maybe two or three things. And the mind just thinks, this unenlightened mind just thinks that if I just get these things, the mind will be happy. And we pursue and pursue and pursue and the unenlightened mind puts all types of effort, all types of time and energy and resources behind acquiring the objects of our affection. It could be material objects, it could be certain relationships, it could be job titles or incomes, anything like this, even wealth and power and fame. The mind just thinks if it has these things, everything will be perfect. And the mind just pursues and pursues and pursues. And if it doesn't get what its object of affection is, then the mind becomes discontent. It becomes sad, angry, frustrated, irritated, annoyed, right? It feels guilty or shameful or fearful. But if it does get what it wants, then it feels happiness. It feels excitement. It feels elation. Once again, part of the discontent mind is those pleasant feelings that the mind is chasing after. The mind is chasing through this greed or craving, this outward longing with a strong eagerness. It's longing and searching and seeking for this happiness. And it thinks that if it just gets that, those pleasurable feelings, then it will be fine. But what happens is we end up either not getting what it is that the mind has in its sights, or you actually do get it. And then the mind's happy for a period of time which is still discontent because that happiness is impermanent and it wears off after a period of time. And once it wears off, then the mind sets its sights on some new object of its affection. And it starts to now outwardly search for this external happiness, this external desire and satisfaction. And the mind once again feels that if it just has this one thing, then it will be happy. So the mind just goes through searching over and over and over, and it's constantly not getting what it wants, which causes anger and sadness and frustration, annoyance, or it gets what it wants, and it gets this happiness, this excitement and elation, which is temporary, and it's not lasting and fulfilling. Or the mind is not really knowing what it wants. It just kind of is like in limbo. These feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant that we talk about as part of discontentedness. So the mind is either experiencing these painful feelings, these pleasant feelings, or these feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant because this craving is either searching externally and looking for something it doesn't get it, which causes the painful feelings, or it gets it, which causes the pleasant feelings, or the mind is kind of in limbo and it's not really sure what it wants. And it has this kind of dissatisfactory feeling of neither painful nor pleasant. And the mind is just sitting there in this unenlightened state looking for the next craving. And eventually it kind of sets its sight on this next craving and it lurches after it, and it puts these resources after it. Sometimes making unwholesome decisions, just chasing after what it thinks is going to please the mind. And once it actually gets that, once again, that pleasure is temporary, and it falls back to being painful or neither painful nor pleasant. Some examples of this is when you were a child, You probably at some point had a real burning desire or craving this greed, this craving, this outward searching for something like maybe a bicycle or a skateboard or a baby doll or some toy. And you just knew as a child, if you just got this, everything would be wonderful in your life. And you might've pursued your caregivers, your parents or the people around you taking care of you. You just pursued them and pursued them to get you these things. And you just knew if you had those things, life would be perfect. And you either didn't get those things and the mind was sad, angry, frustrated, irritated, or you ended up getting them and the mind was happy and excited for a while. It felt pleasure. And then eventually that wore off and the mind set its sights on something else and it wanted something else. Maybe now it wants a motorbike or some other toy or some other bigger toy. And now it either doesn't get that or it gets that. And it experiences these painful, pleasant, or neither painful nor pleasant feelings. And the mind is cycling through this discontentedness. And the mind then lurches for the next thing. Maybe it wants a car, wants a Toyota car. And then once it gets that, or it doesn't, it experiences discontentedness. And then it wants the next thing, a BMW, a Lamborghini, a Ferrari, right? This is something around transportation, but you've had the same experiences, whether it's where you live, whether it's your job, whether it's your income, whether it's your clothes, whether it's relationships and the number of friends that you have around you, The mind just felt if it got to one particular point, it would be satisfied. And it might've been for just a short period of time, but it was just experiencing that temporary happiness. And then right after that, when that wears off, the mind then sets its sights higher and it wants something more and more and more. This is the unquenchable thirst of the mind where it's just constantly craving and craving and craving. And it's sending you in all of these different directions in order to fulfill this unquenchable thirst. But the problem is, is that this craving is never going to be fulfilled because it's always looking external for some satisfaction. And it can't please itself externally because all of these things that it latches onto are temporary they're impermanent. So it grabs onto this boyfriend or girlfriend, or grabs onto these clothes or shoes, or this income or this job, and it grabs onto it. And then it holds onto it, finding some type of pleasure. But then because it's not permanent, the mind then ends up being sad, angry, frustrated, and discontent again, because now it's gone. So the mind is just going to constantly keep going through this cycle until you happen upon these teachings and you decide to actively train the mind to eliminate this aspect of the mind. That once you realize these problem of craving, desire, attachment, how enough is never enough, right? The mind is just constantly seeking and searching for more and more enough is never enough. And once you realize that through these teachings, then you can actively train the mind to eliminate this. Because as long as the mind is doing this, it's going to be unenlightened because it's never fulfilled internally. It's searching and seeking for this external pleasure. And as long as the mind is doing that, it's going to continue to be displeased It's going to continue to experience discontentedness as long as it's searching for satisfaction externally. So we antidote this poison of greed or craving with two primary things that Gautama Buddha taught in order to remedy this problem in the mind where it's searching externally. Not only is it searching externally, but it's essentially latching on. It's holding on right? This is the Four Noble Truths, how craving, desire, attachment, the mind craves permanence and it holds on, it grasps, it longs, it has this strong eagerness and it holds on to things. And that's what causes the discontent mind. So the two things that Gotama Buddha uses in order to antidote this and train the mind to eliminate it. The first one is breathing mindfulness meditation, through practicing breathing mindfulness meditation each day over a consistent and long period of time, you're gonna actively train the mind to let go. Because as the mind's in meditation, it's gonna wanna go to the past and think about all these various things in the past. It's longing, it has this strong eagerness, it's searching outside of itself for some satisfaction. Or the mind's going to go to the future and some pleasurable thing that it wants in the future, or maybe even painful things that it anticipates in the future. The mind's going to have these thoughts and ideas and perceptions that come into the mind during meditation. But in breathing mindfulness meditation, you're training the mind to let go, to focus on the breath, because the breath is the present moment. By training the mind to come into the present moment and not seek satisfaction externally through all these thoughts and ideas and perceptions, you train the mind to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, just focusing on the breath and only the breath. You don't need anything else, just looking inward at the mind and releasing this aspect of the mind where it's constantly seeking something externally. There's other things that are going on in breathing mindfulness meditation, right? You're training the mind to come into the present moment. You're developing singleness of mind or single-mindedness. You're developing concentration and focus and clarity of thought. You're developing awareness of mind. There's lots of other things that I've taught that are happening during breathing mindfulness meditation and one of the reasons why it's so profound and so beneficial. But the primary thing that you're doing in breathing mindfulness meditation is you're working to eliminate this poison of greed or craving. And through meditation of constantly controlling the mind, training it to come back to the breath, the mind wants to run away, bring it back to the breath. The mind wants to run away, bring it back to the breath. Thoughts, ideas, and perceptions, bring it back to the breath. More and more as you train the mind this way, you're gonna be able to control the mind. So now that you've done that in breathing mindfulness meditation sessions, either once, twice, or three times a day over multiple weeks, months, and years, now you take that training in daily life when you feel the mind lurching forward and having this longing and strong eagerness, you cut that off and bring the mind under control. And you recognize in your daily life the things that the mind is chasing after. And you have to reprioritize the mind. And you have to say, is this something that my mind wants or is this something that I need, right? If you're chasing your wants, Your wants are impermanent, and they're just gonna constantly grow and grow and grow until you learn to cut those off and fulfill your needs in life. So as you practice this breathing mindfulness meditation through dedicated, active, independent training sessions to eliminate this unwholesome root of greed or craving, you need to cultivate this quality of mind where you can cut off that craving and recognize that the mind is just searching externally for satisfaction. And it's never going to be pleased because it keeps searching for this satisfaction externally. So bring that quality of mind into your daily life so that as things come up in your personal life or your professional life, you can look at it and determine, is this something that my mind wants? and it's just chasing this craving, this desire, or is it something that I really need in order to be successful and sustain my life and to be conducive in this life with healthy relationships, both personally and professionally? And that comes with practice. Even just hearing me say this today, you're not gonna be able to click your fingers and immediately do this. You're gonna need to investigate this. As I've shared with you and many times before, you shouldn't believe anything that I'm sharing with you. Don't believe what I'm sharing, but investigate it, put it into practice and discover the truth for yourself. One of the ways that you can do that is look over your recent past or even longer than that, and look at the things that the mind is chasing after. And either you didn't get those and the mind was displeased feeling sad or angry or frustrated or what have you or you got it in your mind was very happy excited and elated that shows you the mental longing with strong eagerness that you have but even when you got that happiness it wore off and when it wore off the mind was then searching for the next big thing so it's breathing mindfulness meditation that is going to then antidote this and correct this problem in the mind The second thing that Gautama Buddha shared is to practice generosity. Generosity is to share and to be giving because what tends to happen with a mind that has all this craving is we tend to be very selfish. We tend to hold on to things. We tend to accumulate lots of affections of our desire. And we think that if our bank account just has a few more digits in our bank account then the mind will be happy and everything will be okay but the problem with that is you go to 500 dollars, and then you want a thousand and then you go to a thousand and you want three thousand and you want more and more and more and the mind never gets fully satisfied and the mind just wants to keep accumulating and accumulating and accumulating so by being generous with your time your effort your energy, your resources, and sharing with the people around you, you'll start practicing selflessness, where you're no longer selfish and trying to accumulate things for your own benefit. But you then see this interconnectivity, this interdependency that we have as human beings, that we are on this individual independent journey, this individual practice of pursuing life But we also have this interconnectivity and interdependency with other people around us. In the effort and energy that we put into our daily life, we shouldn't just expect to always accumulate things for ourselves. that we should look at sharing and helping other people as well. Oftentimes when we grow up in life, we're taught to share as children. But then as we age, our mind kind of starts to kind of forget those things. We weren't really taught when we were a child why sharing is good. We just kind of assumed that it was probably good and we learned to kind of share our toys a little bit or maybe not when we are a child. But that selfishness, if it sticks with you and you continue to practice that, you're going to find it very hard to have personal professional relationships because you're not very giving and helpful to others. So these things actually train the mind by teaching yourself and practicing generosity to give your time, your effort, your energy, your resources to help others. What you'll notice is the mind will have less of a tendency to hold on because that's what this poison represents. This greed or craving, it has certain sights that it sets on a certain object of its desires And now it holds on to it. And it feels that if I just get that, then I will be peaceful. But the mind is never there because it's searching externally. So it's through practicing breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity that you're training the mind to let go and to be more comfortable in the world without being selfish and looking externally for holding on to all these things that the mind wants to hold on to. This is the reason why the mind still has problems that happened in the past, and the mind still harbors resentment and ill feelings towards others because of things that happened in the past. The mind is just holding on and holding on. So you've gotta train this unenlightened mind to this enlightened mental state where it practices non-greed or generosity so let me pause here and see if there's any questions on what is this poison of greed and craving how it affects you and also what are the solutions and how to implement these solutions in your daily life
2: hi david i have a question about uh, craving yeah. on one hand it seems that sometimes craving just needs to find somewhere to go like we might have a craving for uh, a piece of cake and if we don't get it we might then crave something else and hope that the present feelings from that can kind of negate what we didn't get from the cake but on the other hand sometimes it seems like we have a craving for a very specific thing like a new car or a new house so my question is is it best to think of craving as like it's this there's this finite amount of it and we just chipping away at this finite amount and it will keep going off in different directions trying to satisfy itself in different ways or is it more like it has a number of specific different ways it wants to go and we have to eliminate each of them individually or is it a bit of both
1: it's a bit of both but there's not a finite amount of craving in the mind that's the problem is that there are certain cravings that exist in the unenlightened mind be it material possessions, wealth, relationships, job titles, fame, power, whatever it is. And the mind, when it acquires the object of its affection, that is satisfactory for a period of time, but then the mind sets its sights on the next thing, either more of what it just got or something else. And it just keeps chasing after all of the objects of its affections. So there isn't a finite amount of it there. It's only once you start applying the solutions or antidotes to this craving that the mind starts knocking it down and it starts to come under control. And it's only once you get it under control that you then are able to ultimately extinguish it. So there's going to be these phases. First, it's just becoming aware that this craving, desire, attachment, this greed, this poison is even present. Before somebody even learns these teachings, they don't even know that it's actually there. So you have to intellectually understand what this poison is and understand how it's affecting you. And that's kind of like the first step of intellectually understanding this poison. Then it's starting to kind of take an inventory and observe when this craving is driving the mind to make unwholesome decisions in life chase after a partner or chase after certain things in life and you know just drive and drive and drive and drive and observing how that external searching seeking satisfaction externally is causing major problems in your life so observing those major problems in your life then it's a matter of starting to implement the solutions with breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity and starting to knock this down and start to also only fulfill your needs, the things that you need in life. And then the more and more you apply that, then eventually you get to the point where you are still going to need certain things in your life, but you're no longer driven by this unquenchable thirst for fame or recognition or income or you know certain material possessions, but you make wise choices to acquire things in your life that you need in order to continue to move forward in life. So you will still have things in your life, but you won't chase after the next big thing that the mind thinks that it's going to create this satisfaction externally. You train the mind that all the peaceful, calm, serene, and contentness with joy is already inside the mind. It's just being obscured and blocked and influenced by this craving and greed, which is sending it on this never-ending quest to look for external satisfaction. And once you eliminate that as a whole, then the mind can reside peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. But this overall abundance of greed or craving, it does come down to individual things where the mind's chasing after a new job, or it's chasing after a higher income and a higher income and a higher income, or it's chasing after a partner or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or it's chasing after your children and you know trying to force your children to be a certain way. There's umpteen number of different individual cravings that the mind is chasing after at any one given time. And then once some of those get fulfilled or you choose to no longer pursue it, it's going to set its sights on something new. So you've got this overall aspect of the mind that's greed and craving, this external searching for satisfaction, but that comes down into individual cravings that the mind is pursuing at any one given time. And that drive, that looking external for satisfaction means that you're setting up yourself. You're sabotaging the mind to be discontent at some point because the mind's continuing to look externally rather than just being satisfied with what is, being content and satisfied with existence and knowing that you don't have to chase after the biggest, baddest next thing in order to create happiness in the mind you're instead looking at acquiring peaceful calm serene and content mind with joy rather than chasing after these pleasurable feelings that are impermanent and that are only temporary
2: right so this is one reason why on one hand we meditate to reduce the mind's tendency to cling. but if all we did was meditation that wouldn't necessarily be enough because even outside of meditation, there may still be a craving for a very specific thing like a new job or a certain level of income, which we need to do some extra work on and really come to see that we are craving this thing and and reflect on that. So there's, there's a couple of aspects to this, there's reducing the mind's tendency to cling, but there's also eliminating specific attachments.
1: Yes, absolutely. When you feel your mind pulling in a certain direction, that's the craving, that's the desire, that's the attachment, the mind's pulling. So let me just give you some simple example. If your phone ding-ding and you know you got a message, if you grab your phone right away, who is it, what is it, I wanna respond, then that's a longing that you have to know, who is that that's sending me a message and you've gotta respond right away and you feel like, okay, now I've responded, I feel okay. But then if nobody writes you a message for a period of time, the mind has this sadness or this frustration that nobody's reached out to you. So because the mind's latching on and feeling these pleasurable feelings of getting a message from somebody on your phone, that happiness, that excitement, that elation is temporary and it can't exist all the time you're not going to permanently get messages so therefore when you don't get messages you've essentially sabotaged the mind and you've trained it now that it's going to be sad it's going to be frustrated because you didn't get any messages so when you feel your mind pulling in the direction of checking those messages you can do all the meditation that you like and you need to do meditation and practice generosity but in the moment when you're noticing your mind pulling in certain directions of these individual cravings, you need to have the fortitude and the strength to now control the mind and be like, you know what, I'm not going to look at my phone. I'm going to go a period of time for a few hours and just not even look at it, even though I know there's messages on there. Because if you give into that craving and you just keep pursuing it and latching on and, and trying to fulfill that, it's going to control your life. It's going to control your mind, not just on something as simple as like a message on your phone, but there's bigger things that the mind is chasing after and it wants. You know, for parents, you may want your children to be a certain way, or you may have partners, life partners, and you want them to be a certain way. Or maybe you don't have a life partner and you're longing for this life partner with this strong eagerness. And because you don't have one, the mind is discontent, it's sad or frustrated or annoyed or bored or lonely. There's all these various things in the mind, the next job, the next income, the next material possession, fame or fortune. The mind is just longing for this. And as long as you allow that to happen, you're going to have discontentedness. So yes, you need to practice breathing mindfulness meditation in order to kind of get ahead of this and kind of knock it down. So this aspect of the mind gets eliminated and eradicated more and more. But you then have to recognize this craving, desire, attachment in daily life so that as the mind's pulling in that direction, you take active steps to cut that off and don't allow the mind to pull in that direction. So rather than react to this craving by trying to fulfill it, You need to respond and be like, "Ah, aha, I see you. I'm not going down that path. I'm not letting you take me down that path. And you may need to step back, breathe, take a couple hours or a few days to really think through what you're doing and whether that's truly something that you need or is it just something that the mind wants. And once it gets it, it's not going to be fully fulfilled because it's searching for this external pleasure. So what I'm introducing here as the three poisons is kind of a broad understanding of what these poisons are, but then they come down to individual situations, individual experiences where you're experiencing this on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis. And when you recognize that, that's when you need to take active steps, having trained your mind in meditation You should now start to gradually have more and more control over it so that in the moment you don't allow the mind to lurch and grab onto these things and continue to pursue them. Because as as long as you do, you're setting yourself up for discontentedness.
2: We have a follow-up from Biblog. He asks, when working to sustain our life, is this a craving for work?
1: It depends. There isn't something that you can just say, like, is working a craving. It's not a black and white thing. It's all about how the mind relates to it. Because, of course, we need to help humanity in some way. We need to provide some value to this world in order to sustain our life. There's very few people in the world that can sit around and do nothing and still sustain their life pretty much everyone has to provide some type of value to the world in order to sustain their life and their livelihood. So working is something that everybody pretty much needs to do. Again, there's some people out there that don't. They're just independently wealthy. Money's come down through their family and they can just pretty much do whatever they would like. They don't need to actually work. But you can't say whether work is a craving or not. It's all about how the mind relates to it. If you pursue a job and you decide, okay, I'm gonna get this job and work this job and do my best and use the resources to sustain my life. And then if the mind's like, well, I want the next one and the next one and the next one and it just has this burning desire to just always keep pushing and pushing and pushing and excelling. This is the craving and desire. The problem isn't the job. Because like I said, we all need to work in some way or another and provide some amount of value. It's how the mind thinks that if it just has the next job, then that is what will sustain it and that's what will make it feel happy. And then once you get that next job, that happiness is temporary and now it wants the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. It never finds inner fulfillment or inner peacefulness because it's looking at this job as the object of its affection and it feels like if it just gets that next 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 job that's what's going to make it happy or content but it never does because it's searching externally so this is where you have to find the middle where you can have a job you can have an occupation and you can sustain your life through that And sure, you might pursue you know, increased promotion, and you may pursue increasing your income through a career. But the mind has to be trained to be satisfied with what is based on where it's at. Because if it always needs the next thing to be satisfied, then it's always going to be the next thing, the next thing, the next thing right it's always going to keep incrementing like that so you've got to train the mind to be peaceful calm serene and content with joy being satisfied with what is where it's at right now and then anything that you decide to pursue beyond that is just increasing your ability to have more skills provide more value to humanity which will probably entail a higher salary may or may not but a mind that doesn't have craving isn't pursuing things for selfish reasons. The mind's going to pursue things in order to help others. And because of that, what you'll find is the money will always be there. You never have to focus on money because you're always focused on helping other people and helping yourself as well. So you've gotta train the mind and work in your occupation to be satisfied with what is. And sure, do a good job, and you will get recognized and you will either start your own business or your bosses will promote you perhaps, or you may find other jobs beyond this company. You may decide to take another job at another company, but you know that it's not that job at the other company that's creating the satisfaction in the mind, that you're only doing that in order to sustain your life and improve your life, not to fulfill this, unquenchable thirst for pleasant feelings
2: we have a question from bill about memories he says i understand that dwelling on previous happy memories to the point that it produces melancholia is not beneficial but sometimes a memory will come up and i have a momentary reflection which produces a feeling of appreciation for that experience but then i move on also, I have conversations with my siblings about my dad who passed away almost three years ago. And we talk about what a great dad he was and how fortunate we were. As we continue to practice, is it common for these reflections to decrease as we stay more in the moments?
1: Potentially, you know, there's nothing wrong with talking about dad and how he's contributed to your life and he's moved on. The challenge is, is that if the mind longs for dad, and wants those experiences back again. And the mind thinks that if dad was just here, everything would be fine. And, you know, gosh, we just really want dad back. So sitting around talking about childhood or talking about experiences, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. It's just that if you long for those experiences, then the mind is still searching externally It wants something that it doesn't have, and it thinks if it just has those things, that will create a better situation for me right now. And it just keeps searching and longing for those things. What you probably will notice is that you'll spend more time in the present moment talking with your siblings about what can we do right now in order to enjoy this moment and have a nice experience this moment and helping others to progress in their life rather than longing for the past but you know just discussing the past there's no issues with that it's more about how does the mind relate to it or is people sitting around kind of moaning or groaning or feeling like oh wow we just wish we had dad back it, it was so much better when he was around and you know gosh things have gotten really bad since he's not here and rather than focused on what we can do right now in this present moment To make this moment better, the mind is searching externally for something that it doesn't have. And it's basically saying, because I don't have that, I can't be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy in the present moment because I don't have this thing from the past. And because I don't have that, my mind is now discontent. And then conversely, sometimes people long for something in the future. And if I just get that, then the mind will be peaceful, calm, serene, content with joy. But the problem is, is that just keeps getting incremented further and further and further rather than just being peaceful, calm, serene, content with joy in the present moment. So focusing on that is the way of practice that's going to bring the best results.
2: We have a question from Linda. What about wanting things to be perfect? Everything at my job to be perfect things to be formatted and all the numbers to be perfect, my words in an email to be perfect. I rewrite and re- rewrite emails to get to something I believe is perfect. If I want to be good at my job and things to be said right and balance out, why does the perfection negatively affect me and stress me out? How can I do well at my job without perfection mindset?
1: Yes. That's the craving. That's the desire. That's that mental longing with a strong eagerness because the mind has this image of perfection and it's got a certain image there. The mind is just driving itself and driving itself and driving itself to get there. And then even when it's there, the mind isn't quite sure whether that's actually perfection or not because perfection only exists in the mind. You've got a certain image in the mind of what you think perfection is, but that's fluid. It's impermanent, it keeps changing. So what you've gotta do is eradicate this image of perfection in the mind. That is just a delusion. It doesn't truly exist. It's just something that the mind is latched onto. And what you've gotta do is you've gotta apply effort in the present moment to write your email, maybe read it once or twice, and then send it and whatever happens, happens. But if you constantly comb over your emails and all the other things that you talked about, searching for this perfection, this perfection doesn't really exist. And that's the mind longing for it. And that's why there's this discontentedness in the mind because there's this longing and strong eagerness for this perfection, but this perfection doesn't really exist. So you've got to get rid of that. And you've got to understand that it's erroneous, it doesn't actually exist. You got to apply good effort and time to doing your work and doing it well, and then whatever happens, happens. If you constantly mull over things, this is the craving, and this is the poison that we're talking about. This is what Gautama Buddha talked about in the Four Noble Truths that causes the mind to be discontent. And as long as you keep doing this, the mind will constantly be sad, angry, frustrated, stressed, anxiety, all of these feelings. And it's not just this. I'm sure it's not just perfection at work. Your mind's longing for other things in your life as well. And it's not until you implement the antidotes of breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity that's gonna help to knock that down. But of course, there's an entire path here, Linda, that you need to learn which we call the Eightfold Path. And wherever you are watching this, if you look in the comments section, you can download this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana, and you can start learning and practicing this path so that you can apply all these good teachings. This is just one aspect of the teachings that we're talking about today.
2: Speaking of generosity, David, I think sometimes we tend to think of giving material possessions as generosity. And sometimes maybe we even think that, you know, the more we give, uh, the more generous we are, right? And I wonder if we can't maybe rethink generosity in a little way, because you mentioned earlier, sometimes giving our time and giving our energy. So what about some other examples of generosity? What if we say, helped our neighbor out with some chores? What about helping someone else in need with with a listening ear? or answering someone's question on Facebook or liking and sharing content. And I still think giving money and other resources is, is a good way to do it as well. But I'm just interested to know if you consider those other examples to be valid ways to practice generosity.
1: Absolutely, all that stuff is generosity. Whether it's time, effort, energy, or resources, You're sharing with the world. You're sharing with other people rather than just being on this selfish pursuit that I'm only going to do things for myself. And as long as your mind is doing that, you're fulfilling these cravings rather than helping other people and kind of letting go and hoarding this time, effort, energy, and resources. As long as your mind is hoarding these things, it's holding on. And it's not recognizing this interconnectivity and this interdependency that we have as human beings with others. And the world can become quite cold. And this is essentially where we are in humanity right now in a lot of places in the world that everybody just kind of pursues their own selfish pursuits. But when you're around those people that are sharing, whether it's time, effort, energy, resources, I sometimes even talk about simply sharing some potato chips out of a snack bag that you might be eating, just doing little things or some of the bigger things like what you mentioned, Max, this trains the mind to let go and to no longer hold on. And that's what this poison is doing, is it's holding on to the objects of your affection and it's just nose to the grindstone trying to fulfill all of those things for your own selfish pursuits. And once the mind realizes that you can share some time, you can share some energy, you can share some effort, you can share some resources like food and clothing and water and money and be charitable. And when you realize that you can do this and still sustain your own life, then what you're gonna be doing is you're gonna be training your mind to let go. And this is going to be beneficial in all areas of your life because while you're sharing with your neighbors, for example, like you said, Max, then your mind is going to be less likely to push and push and push and pursue these other objects of your affection. But it takes a long time to train the mind to let go. You can't just share with neighbors for a couple of days or a couple of weeks and think that everything's miraculously going to get better in your life you have to make this a life practice. That's why the title of this book is Developing a Life Practice, where all throughout your life, you're meditating. All throughout your life, you're practicing generosity in your personal life, within your household, around your neighbors, around all the people in your personal life, but also in your professional life as well. So you've gotta develop a life practice where you're implementing these good, wholesome teachings in your life, and because of this natural law of gamma, of cause and effect, or action and result, essentially the result of your decisions, as you modify your behavior in your conduct, and you start putting more wholesome things into the world, more wholesome things will happen for you in the world. But you can't make these modifications in your life because you're expecting something, because that's still the mind being selfish. You've gotta make these good, wholesome choices to practice things like generosity because it's the right thing to do and you see the benefit in doing so through helping other people. But what I'll share with you is that there will be results that come back to you because of that. You're gonna see more beneficial results in your life Because as you change your conduct and you become more outwardly focused, helping others, but also helping yourself and sustaining your own needs as well, by you sustaining your own life, but also finding ways to help others here and there and as you are able to, then you're going to find that people are going to be more willing to help you and things are going to be more seamless in your life.
2: And does this mean, David, we should just go around giving away all our things almost indiscriminately or do you think there's a case for a discernment in terms of how we offer our time resources money whatever it may be
1: this is where you've got to practice what we talked about in chapter six which is the middle way right if we did nothing and we didn't help anybody at all then we're doing things selfishly and only looking out for our own selfish desires but if we gave indiscriminately without wise choices then we don't have what we need to sustain our life either. So you've got to find this middle where you are sharing and you are helping other people, but you also ensure that you're fulfilling your own needs in your own life as well. And you guys may be starting to think about this as one of the things that i do in order to practice this is i spend an enormous amount of time effort energy and resources to share these teachings and this is my way at this particular time in my life to help the world at other times in my life i had a lot of money And I used to spend a lot of money and I used to donate a lot of money to temples and monks and charitable events in our local community. And I would still spend time, effort, and energy, but I was so busy making money that I didn't have that much time, effort, and energy, just maybe with like my employees and people that were close to me. But I had all this money, so I was able to share it with people in the community. And now, since I've shut down all the businesses and I no longer pursue any of that, what I have in abundance is I have time, effort, energy, and whatever resources that I have, I look for ways to share that. So every person needs to find ways to help others and be generous. And if you're only pursuing your own selfish pursuits, then you're going to find it very difficult in this world because you're only looking out for yourself. And I share what I'm doing so that you understand that I'm practicing what I teach. I wouldn't teach you one thing and then do something else. But what you see from me is you hopefully see somebody who's spending a good 80 plus hours a week just devoted to sharing these teachings in all the different ways that I do. And I find that that's my way of helping the world at this particular time. And I expect that I'm probably going to continue to do that for the rest of my life and continuing to share these teachings. And to craving, you know, I have the goal of helping these teachings to reach the entire world. And I started with this many many years ago but i really kind of really got dedicated to it in the last two years well reaching the entire world with all of these teachings is quite a lofty goal or an objective or an interest but if i did this with craving where i was constantly 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 pursuing this you would feel that you would feel someone who's constantly forcing these things into the world but what I realize through this practice is that it's just one day at a time, one day at a time of sharing these teachings, one by one, person by person, group by group. And this is the same thing Gautama Buddha did when he was alive. He also had the aspiration of helping the entire world learn these teachings and improve through learning these teachings. Well, if he pursued this out of craving and desire, for fame or fortune or notoriety, then it's not going to result in what it resulted to. If someone's pursuing these type of things out of selfish reasons of fame, fortune, notoriety, then you're going to feel that in the work that they're doing, and it's not going to go very far. That's what the natural law of Gama is all about. But because Gautama Buddha stepped down from being a king, essentially, he was a prince, but he was destined to be a king. By stepping down into this life where he's sharing these teachings, he did it in a very humble, peaceful way. That's why they've been around for 2,500 years, because he attained this enlightened mental state, having eliminated this greed or craving where he wasn't doing this out of desire or craving for fame, fortune, or notoriety he was doing it out of interest to help people. He probably didn't even realize at the time of his life how famous he would actually truly become now 2,500 years later, because his teachings were really focused in that small region of the world that he was teaching in. And he just stayed focused on that goal moment to moment to moment. But you can have these big goals or objectives or interests like what i have to share these teachings with the entire world but just do that moment by moment by moment applying good wholesome decisions in each individual moment because it's that individual moment that leads to the next to the next to the next Where if somebody's focused on the big picture and they're only pursuing those big things and looking for satisfaction externally with fame, fortune, or notoriety, then they're not going to be making the good, wholesome decisions moment by moment in order to share these teachings into the world in a way that leads to the profound impact in humanity that Gautama Buddha had during his lifetime. So even somebody like me who's sharing these teachings, these teachings are a guide not only to you to help you in your life, but we practice these teachings as well. And we know that this is the way to improve the world is through practicing these teachings for ourselves, And that's what's going to lead to more and more benefits in the world by focused on practicing these teachings, not only teaching others what to do, but also practicing them ourselves as well. If I was really concerned about how many students are in each individual class or how many shares or how many likes or how many people listen to the podcast or any of these things, if I had certain numbers and I was searching externally and my mind could only be happy, it could only be excited and content and peaceful if I got to those numbers, then the mind's just going to constantly, constantly pursue, rather than just being peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, whether there's one person in class, there's 10 people, or there's 100, or 1,000, or 100,000. So training the mind in this way will help you to actually be more successful in life, because the mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, or satisfied with what is, no matter what is and you will make good, wholesome choices each individual moment.
2: Well, I, for one, David, am glad that you made the decision to to devote your life to helping people with their practice, and I choose to donate to you monthly on Patreon. That's just me. Uh, One, because it helps practice generosity. Two, because I'm interested in supporting you, uh, uh, and you've done a lot to help me. And three, because I've experienced benefits from practicing what you you teach. And I feel there's no way I couldn't do that because I know that that's only going to support those teachings. It's going to support me as well. It's also going to support other people in obtaining, hopefully, similar benefits. So, yeah, for me, it just seems like a pretty clear choice. So, yeah, thank you.
1: Yeah, I'm pleased to offer my assistance. I don't do this for fame, fortune, notoriety. You know, as many of you know, I close my businesses and step down from a very lucrative income in closing my businesses. So pursuing, sharing these teachings in the world isn't for any kind of selfish pursuit. I share these because I know that the teachings that Gautama Buddha shared lead exactly where he said they do to this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy that is unshakable, where the mind never experiences discontentedness ever. And rediscovering these teachings is almost like discovering the cure to cancer. And if I ever discovered the cure to cancer, I would give it away to everybody for free. But of course, it wouldn't be free for me to give it away to the world. I would have time, effort, and energy and expense in order to do that. So sharing these teachings is the same thing. It takes a lot of time, effort, and energy and expense for me to be able to do this. So when people like you and others, Max, offer donations to help me, it just helps me to be able to offer these teachings more and more and be able to help people who are interested in
2: learning. So we have a, a couple of comments on Facebook. Blob says, thank you, David, sir. And just thought I'd read out this one from Jennifer. She says, thank you, I'm so grateful for your generosity. So other than that, David, we have no more questions at this time.
1: Okay, so now that we understand this first poison of greed or craving, where the mind is searching externally for satisfaction, but it's breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity that is training the mind to eliminate this, to antidote this. Now that we understand that first poison, which is a problem we've talked about quite a bit in relationship to the Four Noble Truths and other teachings, but I've kind of added a little bit more to it here. Now let's move on to the second poison that you're going to observe that exists in your mind, right? these things exist in your mind or else you wouldn't still be unenlightened this second poison is called hatred or anger we also talk about it as ill will when we talk about it in terms of the fetters what this poison does is the mind essentially denies resists, and pushes away feelings that you have internally of fear and hurt and loneliness and so forth, things like this. And you almost treat these feelings like an internal enemy. But then you also look for external enemies as well. Things that are in conflict with your opinions, things that are in conflict with how you feel. And when people are in conflict or they disagree with you, what you do is you push them away. You build walls, you erect walls around you. And because of the mind not being comfortable or satisfied with what is, the mind experiences this anger, this hostility, this aggression, where it doesn't like certain things and it pushes those away. And it has this aversion or this resistance to things that are disagreeable. And because of this, you can't have healthy relationships with all people. There's only certain people that you kind of accept into your life. And the mind almost looks out fearfully for when are the people around me going to cause problems and say something that I disagree with. And when they do, they get pushed away. And what this is, is this is the mind trying to create a bubble that it feels peaceful, calm, serene, and content in. And it feels like if I just push all these people away from me that disagree with me, then I can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. But then somebody in your bubble disagrees with you and now you don't like that. And what happens is the mind just constantly pushes people away through this hatred, this anger, this ill will. And it even shows up in lesser amounts, things like frustration or annoyance or irritation. The mind just kind of becomes irritated with certain things, certain situations, certain people, and we kind of lash out with anger and hostility and aggression, and that causes problems in our life because now we can't have healthy relationships with all people. The world around us almost becomes like a war zone or like a battleground where we're looking for What is the next thing that's going to cause the mind to be angry or upset? And as soon as you see that, then the mind feels justified in expressing its anger or its hostility or its hatred or its ill will. And it feels like that's acceptable. But in reality, what this is doing to you is it's actually pushing people away from you and it's causing strain and difficulties in relationships where you can't benefit from the presence of everybody that would potentially come into your life. You can't benefit from the wholesome relationships that are can be loving, kind, friendly, and peaceful with all people around you. You feel like you have to push these people out of your life in order for you to maintain this bubble But what an enlightened mind is going to do is as you're moving from this unenlightened mind to an enlightened mind, you're going to recognize these problems. You're going to recognize that this hatred, anger, ill will, this irritation, this annoyance, this pushing people away is unhealthy and unhelpful, that it doesn't actually benefit you in any way whatsoever, that you're actually causing yourself more problems by pushing people away from you. And what you're going to do instead is you're going to use the antidote to this poison. The antidote to this poison is to practice loving kindness meditation. In loving kindness meditation, we're cultivating in the mind active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. That's what loving kindness is it's active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. That's human beings and animals as well. So then if you cultivate this in the mind through meditation, then in daily life, you practice loving kindness, active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. Then the mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content even when people disagree with you. And the mind isn't looking for everyone to agree with you. Because if you understand impermanence, it's impossible for everyone in the world to agree with you. So if you go around pushing everyone away from you that disagrees with you or has a different opinion than you, and you act out of anger, hatred, ill will, irritation, and annoyance, this hostility comes out of you whenever there's disagreement around you, then you're just pushing people away and you're not benefiting from those relationships. So what you need to do is recognize when you're doing this and pushing people away and recognize when you have this hatred and anger and ill will and annoyance and irritation and notice that it's not from the other people. It's actually from your mind. It's actually your mind expecting permanence and expecting that everyone should agree with you rather than accepting in permanence that not everyone's going to agree with you. And training the mind to be satisfied with what is and be able to listen respectfully, friendly, politely, calmly when someone else has a different opinion than you. If you eliminate this craving and desire attachment, this first poison that we're talking about, where there's this outward searching and this longing, if you work on that through what we've already talked about, then it becomes easier to sit in a conversation and listen to people who have a different opinion than you because you don't always have this desire to be right. You don't have this arrogance and this ego of proving to everyone how intelligent and smart you are. You can sit comfortably with others disagreeing with you And that's okay. And the mind can still practice active goodwill towards all beings without judgment and recognize that others are going to have a different opinion than you. But in order to get there, not only do you need to be eliminating this first poison of greed craving with breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity, but you also need to be practicing loving kindness meditation on a regular basis. And then in daily life, Practicing loving kindness, active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. Be friendly, be polite, be respectful, be understanding. This is how you practice loving kindness in daily life. And through doing this, once again, making the decision to do it because you know it's a good, wholesome thing, but by you treating others. With active goodwill, without judgment, what you're going to notice is that other people will start treating you this way slowly over time. As you make changes in your life, others will gradually and slowly make these same changes as well, but it's going to take time. So you first have to recognize what this poison is, recognize how it's impacting you and causing difficulties and sabotaging your relationships and then implement the solutions or the antidotes to this poison through loving-kindness meditation and practicing loving-kindness in daily life. That's what will eliminate and eradicate this hostility. And when you notice that you're being that way, you've gotta cut it off, and you've gotta bring the mind into this politeness, this friendliness, this caring, this respectfulness, where the mind is practicing active goodwill without judgment for all beings.
2: You mentioned there, a bit, David, about the relationship between craving and anger and how we might experience anger when we don't have our cravings gratis, gratified. I was wondering, is it possible to have anger without craving? Uh, does craving cause anger? Can you talk a bit more about the relationship between these first two poisons?
1: Yeah, so where these poisons are coming from is they're coming from our animal existences prior to being human. We've all experienced countless animal existences. Most of us have been reborn from there into the human world. And from those animal consciousness, we hold on to these three poisons. If you think about an animal, they're nothing but craving. They go around, they want to play, they want to sleep, they want to have sex, they want to fight. They want to be aggressive, right? They're just constantly craving, craving. They want food. They want so many things, right? Animals just constantly crave and crave and crave and crave. And then when they don't get what they want, then they become angry. They become hostile and they attack. And this is the same thing that humans in the unenlightened state will do. We will go around and we will have all these various cravings and we will pursue them and pursue them and pursue them. And as long as we get the objects of our affection, we will be happy for a period of time. But then eventually that happiness wears off and we slip back into other cravings. But if we don't get the objects of our affection, then we're gonna become hostile in the unenlightened state. And we're going to become angry, we're gonna have hatred, we're going to lurch out we're going to attack and we're going to fight. And oftentimes it's a fight until death, just like in the animal world. So by working on these two things together, you're actually helping to solve the overall problem of this unenlightened mind that isn't comfortable in this world. The unenlightened mind struggles in this world and it finds things to be very, very, very difficult because the unenlightened mind doesn't understand what it's doing. And this is getting into the third poison, but the unenlightened mind doesn't understand this craving, this never ending craving and quest that it's on for satisfaction. And the mind doesn't understand that it's causing its own discontentedness. And it doesn't understand that it's anger and hatred is actually coming from within. It's not coming from other people. It's actually coming from within. And as long as the mind holds on to these two things, along with the third poison, it's gonna continue to struggle in this world. And it's because we don't get our cravings fulfilled that the mind often becomes angered and hostile. That's the real connection there.
2: We have a follow-up from Linda. She asks, what about self-hate?
1: Yeah, there can be a lot of negative self-talk in the mind, and this is what loving-kindness meditation and practicing loving-kindness resolves, because if you learn loving-kindness meditation the way that I teach it, you always start with yourself first, and then you move on to further and further rings away from you until you eventually get to all beings, because how could you have loving-kindness, active goodwill towards others without judgment, if you don't have that for yourself. Because oftentimes what people do is we walk around in the unenlightened state, judging ourself, having negative outlook for ourself, degrading our own self. And because there's that self there, then we haven't yet realized non-self in the unenlightened state, the mind will disparage itself and look negatively on itself. So that's why this practice of loving kindness meditation and the practice of loving kindness in daily life, it has to start with yourself. Because what a lot of us have been taught in life is that this life is all about servicing other people. And we go around as part of our craving and we just feel like if we just help everyone else, that life will be fine. But we neglect our own needs and we neglect what it takes to eliminate that negative self-talk in the mind. But what you would do in order to pursue this path to enlightenment is reprioritize the way you may be thinking right now. Instead of putting the significance on everyone else, that everyone else is causing the problem. Everyone else is the reason why you're angry. Everyone else is the reason why you're feeling all these discontent feelings. What you learn in these teachings is that it's actually you causing all of this. So you got to reprioritize this and find the solution within which is learning and practicing these teachings to train your mind to not only eliminate disparaging comments and self-hate to cultivate this active goodwill without judgment for yourself but as you do that and you do that for yourself then you will have that for other people more readily but if you go around disparaging your own mind thinking negatively about yourself and having all these expectations and judging yourself, then that's what you're gonna do for other people as well. You're gonna look at others negatively and you're gonna have judgment of others as well. And this is gonna cause problems in your life. So you've actually got to solve all the internal conflicts. And by solving those internal conflicts, you will actually then radiate out into the world in a better way and you will have better relationships with all people in the world. So all of these teachings and practices, including eliminating this hatred and anger, starts with you and training your mind. It all begins with you and it kind of ends with you too, because you've gotta pursue these teachings and learn and progress and train your mind. You're not gonna make any progress trying to train everyone else while you hold on to this negative self-talk or any of these poisons as long as those poisons are in your mind doesn't matter how much you train other people you're not going to experience this peaceful calm serene and content mind with joy because you're focusing in the wrong place you've got to look inward and solve the inner conflict and that's where you'll experience the real benefits
2: just had a follow-up coming from linda she asks how do i do that
1: the way you do that is you need to get with a teacher so now you're linked up with a teacher a teacher is going to have the teachings available for you in lots of different ways for you to start learning the path to enlightenment for me i've got a book i've got audiobook, i've got videos i've got podcasts i've got online classes i've got retreats that you can come in person i've got personal guidance that you can post into our facebook group and get help there. You can ask questions in these classes. You can private message me. You can even schedule a private appointment where we talk by audio or video and I help you privately. So there's all these resources available for you that you can get access to to start learning and then applying these teachings in practice so that you can move along this path. But you're going to need a teacher's guidance you wouldn't be able to attain enlightenment without a teacher's guidance. So that's where someone like me helps the community by dedicating my time, effort, energy, and resources to helping anybody who chooses to step forward to learn. So wherever you're seeing this, you should be able to have access to the link to get this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana." You need to start with that and then From there, you might wanna reach out to me personally so I can kind of get you more acquainted with all the different resources that are available to progress on this path. But it's a life practice. It's not something that you're just gonna do for a week or a month or two and everything's gonna miraculously change. There's no silver bullet in any of this. It's gradually training the mind through these good, wholesome teachings. But you have a teacher who's willing to help you openly and freely and take time and effort to be able to do that. But the student has to step forward to be able to decide to actually learn and practice. The teacher is not going to force you or have expectations for you to do it. But once a student steps forward and chooses that they would like to learn, any teacher who's teaching these out of an interest to help others should be open arms to help you And that's where I am is I have open arms to help anybody who would like to step forward and learn through all these various resources that I offer.
2: Thank you, David. We have no more questions this time.
1: Okay, let's move on to the third poison. And this will really help to open things up for you and really start to understand why the mind is experiencing all these problems. This third poison is called delusion or ignorance. I usually refer to this as the unknowing of true reality. Because the word delusion, particularly the word ignorance, is kind of used in a derogatory way. So the translation of these words that we're using in Buddhist teachings, I don't feel is 100% accurate. Because I know an enlightened being, particularly a fully, perfectly enlightened Buddha, wouldn't refer to people in a derogatory way as being ignorant or foolish or stupid. A fully enlightened person, a fully perfectly enlightened Buddha surely doesn't refer to people in a derogatory way. They're going to have loving kindness and compassion for all beings. So I use the word or phrase unknowing of true reality. What this particular poison relates to is our wrong understanding or wrong views of reality. It's our misperception or our unknowing of how the world truly works it's our false reality thinking things like other people cause us to be discontent i'm angry because he didn't do something or i'm angry because she didn't do something this is a misperception the mind doesn't understand these natural laws of existence and because the mind hasn't gone through to study and apply and practice these teachings in daily life, the mind walks around with this misperception, this inability to understand things as they truly are. And it's not until you learn and practice these teachings to discover the truth that you then acquire wisdom. You're not learning these teachings based on belief You've got to get rid of belief. You need to learn these teachings with the guidance of a teacher to independently observe the truth for yourself. Then you've got wisdom. This wisdom that you acquire in the mind to start understanding things like the three universal truths, the four noble truths, the eightfold path, the five precepts, right on down the road, all the rest of the things that are part of these teachings. As you start to independently verify these, and you gain wisdom to see that they are in fact truth, now the mind is going to start operating in the world very differently than it did previous to having this wisdom. This is what we call awakening the mind. Essentially, awakening the mind is gaining wisdom. So you're enlightening the mind through gaining wisdom. So this poison Of delusion, ignorance, or unknowing of true reality is truly what's trapping the mind in the unenlightened state. These other two poisons that I talked about, those are poisons, and you see the symptoms and how they affect you in daily life. But it's this third poison that's keeping the mind truly trapped in the unenlightened state. Because without these teachings and guidance to learn them, you would never even know that craving is a problem and how it's affecting you and what is the solution without these good wholesome teachings you would never even know how this hatred anger ill will hostility is causing you to push people out of your life and create this false reality of some kind of resemblance of a peaceful life but that keeps getting destroyed every time somebody disagrees with you or has a different sort of opinion than you and you react in a hostile way so it's this delusion or this ignorance or unknowing of true reality that the more you learn and practice the teachings you eradicate this through wisdom so the antidote to this third poison is wisdom there's no way to meditate away the unknowing of true reality The only way to awaken the mind and help to eradicate this delusion or ignorance is to practice the opposite, which is wisdom. By learning the three universal truths of impermanence, discontentedness, and non-self, now the mind has more wisdom once it practices those and sees the truth for itself. Then once you learn the Four Noble Truths and you realize that it's you that's causing this discontent mind, all these discontent feelings, and you can eliminate them through practicing the Eightfold Path, the mind gains that wisdom and now it starts looking at the world very differently. Rather than blaming others for the discontent mind, you start taking responsibility for the mind and you start taking active steps to resolve that and you start to address these discontent feelings, then as you learn the Eightfold Path from right view to right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, as you learn all of these steps and you start applying them more and more in your life and you see how these teachings benefit you and improve your personal and professional relationships, you have more wisdom of how to walk forward in life and life doesn't become this struggle this constant struggling in life to figure out how to live a good life and how to live a better way of life the buddha lays out this path for you to help you awaken the mind through this wisdom and it's through this wisdom that the mind then becomes knowing of true reality It starts to see true reality, and it starts seeing how you are indeed causing all these discontent feelings. It's showing you how your own perceptions are causing you to judge other people, and through you judging other people, it's causing you to also judge yourself and think negatively about yourself and other people. These good wholesome teachings are gonna show you how your ego and your arrogance in comparing and measuring people is causing problems in your life. These teachings are gonna awaken you to realize that by you causing harm in the world, it's going to cause harm to you. These teachings are gonna show you how by practicing wrong speech, by talking at the wrong time, by lying, by speaking harshly with hostility, by speaking in a way that's unbeneficial, by speaking with a mind of hatred and anger, by blaming other people, mm. this is causing problems in your life. By doing harmful bodily actions or causing harm through your livelihood or not spending time to truly train your mind through the mental discipline of meditation and developing mindfulness and awareness of mind and concentration by not doing all of those things the mind is going to remain with this delusion or ignorance or unknowing of true reality but by doing these things and learning these teachings independently verifying the truth to acquire wisdom now the mind is going to slowly gradually awaken to this mental state of enlightenment where it can now see the true reality of how things operate in the world. And now with this wisdom, you'll gradually make better and better decisions in your life and move the mind in your life to being peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, where what other people say and do no longer shakes up your mind because you now see the reality that you are allowing people To shake up your mind because you don't have control of your mind. You don't have control of your mind because you haven't trained it. You haven't trained it enough in these teachings and with these practices that the Buddha shares to be able to control your mind. So that's why your mind can be shaken up and experience discontentedness because you don't have control over it. But the more you learn and awaken with this wisdom, you'll gain more and more control, and then you'll have an unshakable mind where it's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy 100% of the time, permanently. You'll never experience anger arising. You'll never experience any kind of hatred. Irritation, annoyance will never actually arise in the mind because you've eradicated all three of these poisons and you will no longer go around selfishly pursuing your own self desires with ego and arrogance. You will instead know how to make wise decisions to sustain your life in order to provide the needs that you have in your life without chasing after these external objects of your affection And without displaying this hatred and anger and hostility towards others, you will be able to peacefully, calmly, and serenely with joy pursue a good, wholesome life through making good, wholesome decisions and not being shaken up by what other people say and do. But in order to do that, you need to develop this life practice where you're consistently learning and practicing these teachings on a daily basis to become more and more familiar with them. What the Buddha is essentially doing is he's providing this ceiling and helping you to see that this is a better way of life, but don't believe him. Look at his teachings and see if they're actually truth. So by you learning and practicing, your life comes up closer and closer and closer things get more and more peaceful calm serene and content with joy and as you get closer and closer to this ceiling now as you're fully practicing all of these teachings the mind is now awakened to true reality where you can then experience a smooth seamless life where you're no longer struggling to make decisions and figure out what's next as long as you have these three poisons As long as you have these defilements, as long as you have this pollution in the mind, the mind's gonna continue to struggle in life. But through you eradicating all of this, then the mind can see true reality. And then the brightness of this naturally enlightened mind can shine forth. And now you can have wonderful relationships, both personally and professionally, not only with people who agree with you, but even people who disagree with you as well. You'll always be polite, kind, friendly, respectful. You'll never experience discontentedness of mind where the mind gets shaken up. And that's where you move the mind gradually to this enlightened mental state by eradicating all three of these poisons.
2: You talked there, Davis, how one characteristic of the unenlightened state is that we can make decisions that are unwise or uninformed does abandoning this unknowing of true reality mean that one always would make wise decisions exclusively
1: absolutely so it's these three poisons that are causing all the unwholesome decisions in our life so we make decisions in the unenlightened state based on cravings based on things that we're chasing that object of our affection, we make all these decisions and moving in that direction. And ultimately, we get to emptiness, because all of these decisions to chase after these external desires don't lead to any lasting satisfaction and fulfillment. So people can be left feeling very empty, and like they're just wasting their time in the world. And we're just making all these unwholesome decisions to chase after these things that ultimately end up being unsatisfactory. And we make certain decisions based on hatred and anger and ill will and hostility to push people away out of our life. And we make all these decisions and it doesn't lead to anything fulfilling. And we make all these decisions based out of ignorance or delusion or unknowing of true reality. We do things like pollute our body and our mind with substances that cause heedlessness or we lie or we have sexual misconduct or we kill or we steal or we uh, speak in ways that are unbeneficial or we blame other people for things that are going on in our life we cause harm with our bodily actions we make all these decisions out of this ignorance and unknowing of true reality that leads to unwholesome results Someone who has eradicated all of these things, they're not making their decisions based on the three poisons or the three unwholesome roots. They're instead, they've replaced these three unwholesome roots with the three wholesome roots. They've replaced all three of these with the wholesome roots of generosity, loving kindness, wisdom and now everything that they do every decision that they make is based in generosity loving kindness and wisdom right so those decisions are always going to lead to wholesome results but as long as we have these three poisons in the mind the unenlightened mind is going to constantly struggle through life because it's having a hard time seeing through this pollution It's almost like this mist or this fog that's causing the inability for the mind to truly make good, wholesome decisions. But gradually, as you learn these teachings more and more, you will see that through making good, wholesome decisions with the wisdom in these teachings, they keep leading to more and more wholesome results, which is going to be this snowball of effect where you'll develop more and more of this wisdom to further and further eradicate all three of these poisons, and then the mind will move closer and closer to this enlightened mental state. And as you do, it's almost like a light flickering. So right now, if you just get on the path in the last couple of weeks, maybe for a few seconds in meditation, and maybe even for a few minutes outside of meditation, you might see this little glimmer of peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And as you progress and you implement more and more in these teachings and training the mind, that amount of time where the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy becomes wider and wider and longer and longer. So you're getting all these glimpses at what enlightenment looks like as you're progressing closer and closer to enlightenment. And as you're getting through the four jhanas and the four stages of enlightenment, you may even go a few months without even experiencing any discontentedness whatsoever. Your mind might be completely peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And then three months, six months, boom, you get hit. And maybe five, ten minutes or five hours, you might feel discontentedness. And that's like a light bulb flickering. We call it enlightenment. And some people think that the Buddha sat under a tree. He meditated and he instantly became enlightened but that's not what he says in his teachings. And that's not what people experience in everyday life. What we experience is this gradual progression. That's what the Buddha talked about is this gradual progression. And I sometimes refer to it like a light. When you flip on a light, it gets bright for a second, then it goes out. It gets bright, goes out, bright, and then go out. These are kind of like the old time light bulbs that we experience. And then eventually after it flickers for a while, Boom, it's on all the time. And that's the way enlightenment is, is you get all these flickers for many months, maybe even years. And then that amount of time where the light is on, where you're experiencing peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy becomes wider and wider. And then eventually you get to the point where it's been a year or two years or however long and you haven't experienced any discontentedness at all. But you never wanna convince yourself that you're enlightened, because if you do, there's a tendency for the mind to kind of shut off and kind of no longer pursue more wisdom. So once you attain enlightenment, and it's been a year or two years that you no longer experience discontentedness, you've been on this path for quite a few years, learning these good wholesome teachings, practicing breathing mindfulness meditation, practicing generosity practicing loving-kindness meditation, practicing loving-kindness in daily life, gaining lots and lots of wisdom, practicing the entire Eightfold Path, eliminating all these fetters, as you're on this path for longer and longer periods of time, you're gonna eventually come to the realization that, wow, I haven't experienced any discontentedness for quite a long time. But rather than convince yourself that you're actually enlightened, It's better just to kind of assume that you aren't and just always be looking for more and more wisdom, not necessarily always in these teachings, but look for how to become the best scientist or the best business owner, or looking how to start some project that benefits humanity, or looking to be a very best mom or dad, or uh, looking about how to treat other people and benefit others in your community. But now doing that through an enlightened mind where you're no longer pursuing craving anger and ignorance or greed, hatred and delusion, but you're doing it with this deep wisdom of knowing how to help other people through the decisions that you make, because now you'll understand true reality. So any project or any initiative that you take on can be wildly successful because you understand reality and you understand how to move things forward in life in a way that you didn't understand in the unenlightened state. But this is a gradual progression towards this enlightened mind. So in addition to everything else you do, whether it's your occupation or be a boyfriend, girlfriend, life partner, be a parent or whatever, you should always have this kind of underlying effort to learn and practice these teachings, to gradually bring them into your life because that's going to help you be the very best friend, be a great partner, be a good worker, a good employee, a good boss, a good community leader. All of these good wholesome teachings are just going to support you and all the other decisions that you make in life. Not everybody who follows this path and practices this path is gonna choose to be a teacher. There's a great need for enlightened politicians, enlightened business leaders, enlightened community leaders, enlightened taxi cab drivers. I've met people who are enlightened that are taxi cab drivers. There's a need for people in all parts of society to not function based on craving, anger and ignorance, but making choices based on ensuring that we all are being loving and kind and compassionate and friendly and respectful to each other and this is how we create heaven on earth essentially is by learning and practicing these teachings and then more and more people in the world practicing these for themselves choosing for themselves to practice these then the world gradually becomes better and better because we're choosing individually to do so We don't need to run around and try to change everyone else. We just need to work on changing our own mind. So this life practice should be a consistent thing that you slowly develop and practice over the entire course of your life.
2: How does habit fit into this, David? Because obviously a habit can be unwholesome, like snacking on unhealthy food when you get in from work, but it can also be wholesome, like brushing your teeth twice a day or three times a day. Uh, doesn't enlightened being have habits?
1: A habit is just the propensity of doing something repeatedly over and over. So like brushing your teeth regularly. But again, back to kind of what Bitblob was saying about work, You know, whether it's brushing your teeth or helping your children or having the things you need, it's not about whether a habit is good or bad necessarily. It's about how the mind relates to it. So what we're really talking about with brushing our teeth is oral hygiene. You can have good oral hygiene and pursue that as a goal, as an objective, as an interest, and that will be very healthy and have good results for you. But if you were very lackluster and not really that interested in pursuing oral hygiene and you didn't really give it much thought, what you're gonna find is you're gonna end up with poor oral hygiene and that's the result of your decisions. That's your karma. That's the cause and effect, the action and result, because you weren't really paying attention to it and you didn't really put much effort into it. But if you also pursued it really aggressively with lots of longing and strong eagerness, this is going to lead to discontentedness as well, because that longing, that outward searching, that uh, looking for satisfaction and having the brightest, best, most amazing teeth or oral hygiene is going to cause the mind to be discontent because there's no way that you can attain that permanently. So what you've got to do with all of these things is bring the mind to the middle where you spend time and effort for things like your oral hygiene, but you don't hold on to it very loosely, but you don't hold on to it very tightly. So whether it's oral hygiene. Whether it's spending time with your life partner, whether it's guiding your children, whether it's having transportation or a home or shelter or clothing or food, you've got to always come back and find that middle where you're not holding on to it too tightly, but you're not holding on to it too loosely either, but you're pursuing things as an interest, a goal, and objective, including these teachings. Sometimes people can have such a craving and desire. attain enlightenment that they just pursue it and pursue it and pursue it and pursue it and they never get it. So you've even got to eliminate the outward searching for satisfaction, this craving desire attachment to enlightenment itself. You need to pursue it as a goal, objective and an interest where you've just got this underlying foundation where you're almost drip feeding the teachings into the mind over a gradual period of time and you're gradually implementing them into your life, observing the progress, observing how things are improving, but just continually working in the direction of an enlightened mind without longing and strong eagerness.
2: Okay, so if, if we are causing our own discontent mind, mind, we, we touched on today, Through our craving, and of course we covered that in the Four Noble Truths as well. And then others, the same is true, other people are causing their own discontent mind through their craving. Then what do we mean exactly by the idea of doing harm to others or others doing harm to us? Can you help me unpack this?
1: Yeah, so the harm is active decisions that are harming others, not causing their discontentedness, but causing harm. So if we steal something from somebody, that's gonna cause them harm because they're working, they're applying effort and energy, they need those resources, and if we steal something from them, it's going to harm them because they've now lost all that time, effort, and energy that they apply to resources. Or if I have a partner, if I was still having sex and I went outside the relationship and had sex, then that's causing harm to that person because it's breaking our trust and our loyalty. If that person becomes discontent because I did so, then they're causing it because they're attached to me. They're causing the feelings of discontentedness, but I created the harm through my decisions of either my intentions, my speech, or my actions, my livelihood, whatever I've done to make a decision, I've caused harm to others and that harm is going to be returned to me. But any discontentedness they feel or experience is caused by their own craving, their own desire, their own attachment. So discontent feelings and harm are two different things, where harm is a overt action or speech or intention, something like that, that I'm putting out into the world, which is then creating some kind of harmful effect. Where the discontentedness is feelings that arise in the mind as a result of their craving, desire, attachment.
2: If I was to summarize that in kind of my own way, then. So we cannot cause someone else's discontentedness and they cannot cause ours. However, if we're doing harm, are we in effect creating the conditions for them to uh, cause themselves to be discontent or make it harder for them to attain enlightenment by making the conditions? More, more
1: difficult the conditions to attain enlightenment are the conditions to attain enlightenment there's it's your own individual choices of whether you attain enlightenment or not if you were in a relationship where you're attempting let's stay on the 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 uh, this example of sexual misconduct because it's one that we see a lot in in the world if you were in a relationship where you were with a partner who was constantly, going outside the relationship and being disloyal, a person who's working towards enlightenment at some point is most likely going to decide that's something that's not going to lead to anything beneficial. And they may choose to leave that person, when or if, they, they may or may not. But I can't imagine an enlightened person being in a relationship with somebody who is unloyal and unfaithful and distrustful. It doesn't mean that someone blocks them out or they push them away with hatred and anger. They would still have loving kindness or active goodwill and compassion for that person. But that person's enlightenment is all in their own hands. Your enlightenment is not dependent on other people around you. It's your decisions of staying in that relationship that might continue to cause harm that, as you say, Max, creates the conditions that are ripe for your discontentedness. But it's still your decision to stay in that relationship and experience the results of that harm that's being done in the relationship. So you're right in that we can't cause other people to be discontent. If someone is getting angry, hostile, frustrated, sad, bored, lonely, uh, if they're resentful, if they're jealous... They're causing that themselves, completely and entirely causing that themselves. Let's go with jealousy since we don't talk about that one very much. If I was to go somewhere in the public and I was to talk with another man or another woman and my partner got jealous because of that, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm just talking with another person. If their mind is holding on to me so tightly, that they don't even wanna see me talking to another person, their jealousy is being caused by their own mind. It wasn't caused by me talking to other people because talking with other people is something that everyone can do. It's not like we have to run around and decide and ask permission from our partner, who should we and who shouldn't we talk to. So we can't cause other people's minds to become discontent but we can cause harm to others, which makes their life more difficult. And as you say, creates conditions where they can potentially become discontent, but still their discontentedness is caused by themselves.
2: Right. Got it. Thank you. Well, I have one more question and that is what would you say to a community leader or politician in an elected position who's not currently practicing this teaching to do no harm or any of teachings of gotham buddha like those found in the eightfold path what advice would you have for them that could be helpful to their role as a community leader or a country leader and what advice do you have for a community of people who are choosing those leaders to lead them
1: So, anybody who's in a political position or as a community leader, what they will find is by learning and practicing these teachings, they will be an enormous benefit to the community that has chosen them to be their leader. So, if a community leader or politician is practicing things like do not kill, do not steal, don't commit sexual misconduct, don't lie, Uh, don't put substances into the body that cause heedlessness. And remember, we went into a lot more detail about the five precepts and what they truly mean. If a community leader or politician is practicing things like right intention and right speech and right action, even right view, all of these good, wholesome teachings that are part of the Buddhist teachings, that politician and community leader is going to be wildly successful in their role because they're not going to be making decisions based on their own selfish pursuits. They're not going to be lying to people in order to attain some selfish goal or objective. They're not going to be pursuing external satisfaction through craving. They're not going to have ego and arrogance and feel that if somebody disagrees with them, they have to push that person down in order to look like they're so intelligent or so smart. What a leader is going to be doing who is practicing these teachings is they're going to be looking for the right decisions, no matter who it comes from, in order to move this society or this community forward. It's not about the leader always being right or the leader always being smart or always being intelligent. It's about finding the right answer amongst all the people around the table in the leaders choosing that, aha, that's the right answer for us to move this community forward. And then the leader is going to find a way to involve people to now participate as a community or as a country in order to solve any particular problems that the population is facing. If somebody's not practicing these teachings, you're going to see people who are very selfish, self-interested, that are lying, that are cheating, that are doing things backhandedly, that are not interested in other people having the limelight, a person or a leader who's not comfortable with others sharing solutions. And it's always got to be their opinion because of their arrogance and their ego. They they kind of want to uh, squash other people who might have a contribution. They always wanna be the person out in the front. But a true leader who's learning and practicing these teachings that's gonna have massive amount of success is somebody who's interested in seeing everybody benefit, seeing everybody get what they need in order to move the community forward. And they're going to be practicing these teachings in a way that's wholesome, where they're going to be practicing polite speech and kind speech. They're going to be respectful. They're gonna be speaking at the right time. What they say is true. They're gonna speak gently. When they speak, it's going to be beneficial instead of just random chit chat. They're gonna be speaking with a mind of loving kindness. They're not gonna be blaming other people, right? A real leader is going to take responsibility for any issues that are happening on their watch. They're going to see the situations that are happening while they're leading the community and they're gonna take responsibility for those things and they're going to look for the answers that are gonna solve these problems in the world. That's what a real political or community leader is going to do who's going to be very successful in seeing lots and lots of success in their community. For someone who's in a position where they're selecting community leaders, whether it's politician or just any community leader at all the different levels of society that we have, those people should be looking for these attributes that they know are going to lead to good, wholesome results. So if you see a leader who isn't pursuing decisions in a selfish way, with selfish desire, that person is looking out for other people, not their own self-interest, then that person's going to lead and be beneficial to your community. If you see somebody that doesn't have hatred, anger, ill will, frustration, irritation, someone who's operating from loving kindness, active goodwill towards all beings without judgment, then that person's going to be very successful in leading your community. If you're seeing someone who's accepting responsibility for the problems at hand and looking for solutions among the community and is comfortable with other people stepping up and saying, hey, I have a solution. And is comfortable with that to happen because that leader is only interested in getting the right solution, not necessarily interested in their own ego, then that leader is going to be successful because they're seeing true reality, that it's not about ego and arrogance and selfish pursuits, but it's about helping the people. If you're seeing leaders that are speaking with the five factors of well-spoken speech, they speak at the right time, what they say is true, They speak gently, beneficially, with a mind of loving kindness, without blaming other people. If you see a leader who isn't promoting killing of any type, if you see people who are uh, not stealing people's ideas or possessions or uh, positions of authority that are resisting others, If you see people who are loyal and committed in their life partners with their relationships instead of practicing sexual misconduct. If you see people who are truthful, uh, truth speaker, not deceiving the world through their speech. And if you see people who aren't taking substances that cause heedlessness. All these good wholesome teachings are going to lead to good wholesome results. So if you're picking a leader for your community or your country, you should be looking for these same qualities, these same practices. People can say whatever they would like to say when they're at a podium, but you have to look at their actions and see what their actions are like. And when you can make your decisions based off of those things, then you know when you're turned away and you're not looking, they're going to be performing those same actions which are not based in this craving, anger, and ignorance, or unknowing of true reality. So therefore, they're going to be looking out and benefiting their community. And i.e., they're going to be benefiting you.
2: Okay, we have a question from Sia. If you're on the receiving end of being harmed by someone, is that
0: your karma?
1: Yes, that is your karma, because you're choosing to be around that person. If someone harms and causes harm, and then you continue to choose to be in that environment and continue to allow that to happen, then that's your gamma. And likewise, if you're experiencing discontentedness in the mind, where you're experiencing sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, boredom, loneliness, shame, resentment, jealousy, all of these discontent feelings, that's your gamma too, because you haven't yet learned and practiced these teachings to awaken the mind. But just because that's your gamma doesn't mean that you need to stay in that situation. This is the thing to understand with this hatred, anger, ill will. We talked about it as pushing people away and creating walls and not allowing people to disagree with you. That doesn't mean that you allow people to harm you you can observe people causing harm in your life and choose not to be around them anymore, but still have loving kindness and compassion for them when you walk away from them. Practicing loving kindness, active goodwill for all beings without judgment, doesn't mean you allow people to harm you because that wouldn't be practicing loving kindness for yourself. Because remember, when we talked about the antidote to this hatred, anger, and ill will. We talked about loving kindness and the practice of loving kindness starts with yourself and having active goodwill without judgment for yourself. So if you're in a relationship where someone's constantly harming you over and over and over again, you're not practicing loving kindness or active goodwill without judgment for yourself. And as long as you do that, your mind is going to be stuck in that situation because you're not making active choices to leave that situation. So in order to move to an enlightened mind and a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind in life, you need to make the decision to practice loving kindness for yourself and of course other beings. If you don't do that, then yes, it's your karma. It's a cause and effect or action and result, essentially the result of your decisions. It doesn't mean you just stay in the situation and constantly accept the harm. It means you have to practice loving kindness, this active goodwill for all beings, including yourself, to make decisions to either fix the situation or move on and remove yourself out of the situation. We have a question from Sheetal.
2: How do you get rid of boredom and loneliness?
1: The same thing with everything else. By eliminating craving, anger, and ignorance. Your mind currently has craving, anger, and ignorance or unknowing of true reality. And that's why it's still experiencing discontentedness. So you need to walk this entire path. One of the things that I see with Gautama Buddha's teachings is people will come up with something like this. They'll say, How do I get rid of boredom? Or how do I get rid of stress? Or how do I get rid of anxiety? Or how do I get rid of anything, right? Any kind of list of things, like almost as if there's like a different pill for every single thing, because this is how people are taught. Nowadays, we think that anxiety is a mental illness, or we think stress is a mental illness, or sadness is a mental illness, and there's a different set of pills for each individual emotion or feeling. But in reality, this whole massive amount of discontentedness, whether it's painful feelings, pleasant feelings, or feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, are coming from the same problems. These three poisons, and the unenlightened, untrained, uncontrolled mind. So it's the entire path to enlightenment that is going to eradicate sadness. It's the same path that's going to eradicate boredom or loneliness. It's the same thing that's going to eradicate guilt or shame or fears. There's no individual things that you do for each one of these individual feelings because they're all arising from the same problem, which is craving, anger, and ignorance. So it's the entire Eightfold Path that applying these teachings through a life practice that's gonna eradicate all these discontent feelings. The Buddha called this a whole mass of discontentedness. It's just a whole mass of discontentedness. And it's all rooted in these same three unwholesome roots. And you can only uproot this massive amount of discontentedness through the wholesome roots of generosity, of loving kindness, of wisdom. But it's that wisdom that's going to lay out all the teachings of the entire path to eliminate all these discontent feelings in the mind.
2: Thank you, David. We have no more questions this time.
1: Okay. So I'm going to share this last little piece of information where i kind of summarized what i shared in this talk as the antidotes for these three poisons greed craving we already talked about what that is and how that affects you the antidote that you want to practice for this is breathing mindfulness meditation and practicing generosity with your time your effort your energy your resources be sharing. Find that middle. This poison of hatred, anger, or ill will, you want to practice loving kindness meditation and practice loving kindness in daily life. And for this third poison of delusion or ignorance or unknowing of true reality, you want to learn and practice these teachings of Gautama Buddha to acquire wisdom. Some of those teachings are things like the Three Universal Truths, The Four Noble Truths, The Eightfold Path, The Five Precepts, The brahma Viharas, The Natural Law of karma, The Seven Factors of Enlightenment, Extensive Meditation Training, Eliminating the Ten Fetters. All of these things are things that I share in this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. All of these things and more are shared in there, and through these online classes. So if you're learning with me gradually over time, you're gonna learn all of these things and a whole lot more. And if you're just starting out with me and learning, this can look very much like a mountain. And the mountain always looks really big and really tall when you're standing at the bottom of the mountain. But the more you walk this path slowly and peacefully up this path up the mountain, By the time you start progressing up this mountain the mountain looks smaller and smaller and then when you get to the top of this mountain the air is so fresh the view is so beautiful you say to yourself when you get to the top of the mountain gosh i wish i could just stay up here forever this view and this air is so wonderful i would love to just stay up here forever Well, the beauty in learning and practicing Gautama Buddha's teachings is as you progress up this mountain of learning and practicing these teachings, as you get to this enlightened mind, it is permanent. You will be able to maintain this mental state of enlightenment permanently. It's like progressing up this mountain and being able to permanently breathe in this fresh air and permanently being able to see this beautiful view and permanently being able to feel this sunshine on your body now that you've progressed up this mountain. But you're never going to get there if you don't start taking steps to eradicate these three poisons and moving the mind in the direction of enlightenment. All the resources are here for you. You just need to choose to step forward and apply some time and effort to slowly, gradually learning these. So that's why on Sundays and Wednesdays, I have these online classes at nine o'clock Thai time. So wherever you are in the world, you can figure out what time that is and join on Sunday and Wednesday at nine o'clock. On Sunday, we take the major chapter from this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana, and we talk about it. So you can either read before or after or before and after. And then on Wednesday, we cover breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation, and then we even do chanting. So we rotate those every three weeks. So if you're progressing and learning in this group learning program, I'm going to be gradually laying out this path for you more and more. And remember, don't believe anything I say. Learn it and practice it so that you can see that it's the truth for yourself. The more you do so, you're gonna gain more and more wisdom and you're gonna see that the mind is functioning through these teachings more and more. The condition of the mind's going to improve. You're gonna move closer and closer to this peaceful, calm, serene and content mind with joy. As you make better and better decisions, your life is going to feel more and more seamless. You're not gonna feel like you're dragging your feet through the mud and feel so wiped out every day, because life is such a struggle. Life actually becomes easier and easier. But you gotta start walking up the mountain, and as you do, that first part of the mountain is usually the hardest part, It's just getting started. But once you start getting up the mountain, it starts to become easier and easier as you get going. But of course, you're gonna have challenges along the way, and that's what your teacher is for is you have somebody that you can reach out to, you can ask for guidance, you can ask for support, and I make myself available in a lot of different ways for you. So feel free to reach out, feel free to dive into these teachings, whether it's the book, the audio book, the videos, the podcast, the online classes, the retreats, the personal guidance, all these different ways that I offer for you to learn and practice these teachings. So reach out, and start walking the path with the Buddha. That's the only way that you're going to eradicate these three poisons and experience this enlightened mind. So until next time, thank you for joining. I appreciate that you decided to take the time and effort to learn and practice these teachings to help you and all those people around you and all of humanity. Next Sunday, we're going to be discussing chapter nine, which is, what is gamma and how does it affect you? This Wednesday, three days from now, we're going to be doing loving kindness meditation. And I'm going to be teaching you how to use that to eradicate this poison of hatred and anger. So feel free to join in. And if you don't make the class live, you know that you can always watch this back on YouTube, Facebook, or on our podcast. So until next time, have a wonderful rest of your day. Enjoy the people around you. Treat everybody with love and kindness and respect. Have fun. We'll see you next time. Sawadee
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com.